Hey everyone, welcome to Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag. I'm your host, Clint Schaffer, and today we're joined by Steve Nicholson, a grain and oil seeds market analyst with Robo Finance, who's going to give us a look into the markets and all those key focus areas that we need to be thinking of going into spring. Stay tuned. Hey, Steve, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us here on Around the Farm again. It's great to be here, Clint. Good to see you again. Hope all's well. Yeah, all is all is well. So, Good. I mean, it's been uh, a little over a year, I think, since uh, since we had you as a guest, and it sounds like you have some uh, some big changes that have <laughs> happened here. Yeah, we have uh, we've made some changes here. Um, I got to, I guess it's a promotion. Um, I'm now the global sector strategist for grains and oil seeds for Rabobank globally. So my charge, if you have it here, is to deal not just in North America or U.S., is to deal with all the research around grains and oil seeds globally. So my major thrust, if you have, is to manage that research agenda for the bank on the grain and oil seed side. Uh, but I will tell you, there's a lot of other things that come with it. Um, some that are were passed along, said, here, you can have this now. And there are others that, you know, just happened, of course, in the in the course of what happened here with the war. So a lot of wow. things happening. Yeah, no, that sounds like a like a pretty uh, pretty big change. Uh, has that changed? I mean, uh, uh, time zones and things of <laughs> yeah. that nature that you work in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I get less sleep now because you know, of course, <laughs> Europe wants to do these in the middle of the day, their day. Well, for me, that's five a.m., five thirty a.m. in the morning, which I try to avoid, but I don't really have a lot of choice because if you try to do a global call. And if, if you're in Europe and you do middle of the day, you have to get us early in the morning, you get, you know, Asia, you know, they're 10, 11 o'clock at night. So it does, it does do the challenges. So it makes my days a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, it's easy. I will say here in the States, it's fairly easy because you can deal with Europe in the R morning and then I can deal with Asia and, yep. you know, Australia late in our afternoon. So that's really easy. It's easier than it is for the Europeans to do that. And I mean, it just sounds like you just need to drink more coffee, right? That's the that's, oh. that's the primary thing, right there. Yeah, I'll be I'll do a shameless commercial. I'm not a coffee drinker; I'm a Coca Cola drinker, so I, I drink more Coke these days. Yes, <laughs> there we go, there we go. Well, I tell you what, it sounds like you've had a lot of lot of changes, but uh, I'd say uh, a lot of farmers have a lot of a lot of changes oh. since the last time that we've talked to you. Uh, I mean, this is this has been a pretty wild ride. Uh, where where do you see the you know kind of the remainder of this season going when it comes to commodity prices? Yeah, it it is, and I just want to preface this: this is for farmers, for agribusiness, for you know everyone along that supply chain. There's, and I was talking to a colleague of mine who are about, we are the same age, and there's so many moving parts, and I don't recall a time, with the exception of potentially the farm crisis in the 1980s, where there's so many moving parts. You know all the time and not just, you know, every other week, it's like every day there's another moving part. So I, I think that's one thing we have to acknowledge up front and say, we don't know how this will all come out when it's all said and done. But having said that, I think from a price perspective, and we just finished our, our baseline outlook here in, in the bank for U.S. grains and oil seeds. And it's it's a positive outlook. Uh, prices look good as we even in the short term, medium term, and even longer term. Longer term, of course, they declined a bit, because we start to see production ramp up. But when we look at the fact is that prices will be above kind of the 10-year average if you look back. You know, stocks are going to be below the 10-year average when you go back. Um, And so it all adds up to a very, uh, you know, high prices. 
But at the same time, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about inputs, we see input prices coming up as well. So, but I think from a from a gross revenue standpoint, uh, I think gross revenues will be good. But I will one caution at that is, with, depending on it, didn't matter where you are on the supply chain, expect a lot of volatility. That that's the name of the game. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned you know the 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 farm crisis of the of the eighties, and I've I've heard that a lot, um, and and a lot of even conversations come back into. Uh, you know, not only input prices that you talked about there earlier, but uh, even interest rates and things of that nature uh, right. that, that might be climbing up. Uh, what kind of, I mean, are you seeing trends that are kind of pointing in in that direction or or are we still no. uh, still open for a lot of change? No, I think we're open for a lot of change. I'm not seeing, you know, another farm crisis if you have it. Um, definitely interest rates are, tr- are, are, are trending higher. Of course, inflation, we already know we're already there. Uh, certainly not to the levels we saw in the late 70s, um, but we continue to see good exports. But the fact is exports will be, you know, they will come to the U.S., they will come to Australia, they'll come to Canada, they'll come to Europe, and they'll come to South America because there's no place else to go for for corn and wheat in the world. Uh, you have to come to those places. So I, I don't think that we're in a, a farm crisis mode. Interest rates would have to get a lot higher. Um, and I think the fact that exports are going to be fairly well um, supported will be good. And also you're not coming to this with huge stocks. I mean, you're, you're in a position where stocks are, and, and frankly, are going to contract a little bit more, which will keep supporting the prices. So different, different set of circumstances coming into this situation. Yeah, you know, you've mentioned the the supply chain too, and and some of the exports outside of that Baltic Sea region. Um, is is everything kind of back to normal as far as for supply chain side of things? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't say that things are all back to normal. I mean, you you've got a lot of dislocation in thinking about you know, do you get vessels, barges, oh trucks in the right place at the right time? And when I'm thinking from the you know from the farm to the to the end user, I mean the end user when you think about um, food manufacturers, there's lots of other things that go into our food products. Can you get packaging? Can you get plastic? Can you get cans? Can you get you know lids on cans? Can you get spray nozzles? Can you all that is and that's also a problem. And and if you're using um, canola, and I'll focus on vegetables for a minute. If you're using canola or sun oil, you're likely having trouble finding that, and so you're going to have to reformulate. So. I would say that that supply chain is not back to normal yet. And I I, I think that's a, a, at least, and I, I will defer to my supply chain experts within the bank, you know, you're likely a year or more off before you see some normalization of that. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. It, look yeah. forward to that day, right? <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. And, and the, the other thing is from a farm perspective, think about the supply chain to the farm. You know, we think about fertilizer, we think about chemistry, we think about machinery. Think of all those, that supply chain has also been very disrupted by not ingredients for chemistry. Think about machinery not able to get chips. All those sorts of things, you know, to the farmer also it has been disrupted as well. So it goes on, you know, how are you going to look at the farm in the middle, you know, either way. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you talk about fertilizer, right? That's been a, a hot topic. I've talked to a yeah. lot of a lot of friends of mine, and and you know, I mean, it's up, you know, significantly from from what it was uh, just a year ago. D- do you see that impacting, you know, what crops are going to start getting planted? I mean, are you hearing, you know, a, a shift over to to soybeans, or or you know, I guess what are what are you hearing there? Right. It, it's interesting. We did some surveying. 
um, early in the year, and I'll say a top producer at, at breakfast one morning, we had electronic survey and we did it there. And and I'm gonna, I remember these numbers from memory, so bear with me. We had about 63% said, did the high, we asked them, did high input costs change your, your view as padding? 63% said no. Of course, that means, you know, you've got another 37% said, yeah, it did change their their views. But when we asked them about what they're planning, 69% said they were making no change in rotation. Now we had 9% more we're going to plant corn, 16% we're going to plant more soybeans. So it, you know, it did sort of, didn't give you this warm view that, because early on last fall, if you remember, people were saying, we're just going to cut corn and we're going to plant all these soybeans. So it didn't give us the view that we're going to see that huge ups, upset. Now we did see obviously last Thursday, um, maybe the rise. We obviously did see more soybeans. I think producers obviously got worried about fertilizer availability, um, and so you did see that. But you know, I think when it's all said and done, Mother Nature's going to have the most to say about what gets all planted this spring. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few more corn acres this spring. Uh, I don't know that I would say that we'd see less soybean acres, but maybe a few. Uh, but we could see a few more corn acres if Mother Nature's cooperated this spring. So I, I do think that the high input costs obviously had some impact on some people. It also depends on what, what they had prepared for, um, if they got ahead of this or not. I think that's the big question, too. Yeah, I mean, outside of that that input cost on that, Steve, what are some of the other trends that you're, that you're seeing within uh, – uh, prices and things of that nature out, let's say, the next three to six months? Are there are there things that we need to start watching out for or keeping an eye on? Yeah, I think there's, you know, I think first, I, you hate to, I mean, this sounds trite, but I think the weather certainly is number one on that list. I think the other thing in, in thinking about it globally is, you know, China bought a million metric tons of U.S. corn. So I think we have to pay attention to China's actions as much as their words you know, countries are going to be making sure they have food for their populace. And that'd be the other thing I would watch from a price perspective. How do countries, how do countries react to these, you know, contracting stocks? Do they become a little more protectionist? Do they have, okay, we'll export so much, but there's so much we're going to hold in reserve for our own population. You know, all of those things are going to have an impact on what is happening. The other two things on the domestic side to be watching is, you know, we started, we're starting to see some of this crush ramp up. You know, we've still got three years before we get to the maximum of all this investment in crush in North America, but we'll start to see that ramp up in 22. And you can look at, if you look at maximum crush levels on month, you know, we keep ramping up here in the, in the end of the year. The other thing is renewable diesel. Went back through the plants. You know, you've got a number that have come online. You've got a, a number that are scheduled to come online this year. And so that's going to be very supportive to the vegetable oil market on top of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. So there's just a lot of what I would call robust demand out there um, and stock situation uh, that will be supporting the prices here over the next three to six months easily. Now, if Mother Nature cooperates, then we need to come back and re-record this. <laughs> no, to- totally understand that as yeah. well. That's uh, the 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 one fun variable in farming that we can't uh, can't control, right? Uh, that's, that's right. Uh, definitely Mother Nature. Uh, you know, one of the things I'd like to talk about there, just because uh, w- with mention is really around the the fuel, right? Uh, and yeah. You talk about uh, renewable diesel, which I think will have a a pretty hefty impact on our on our soybean uh, prices. And then uh, if we look over at at just even with gasoline going up. Um, a lot of times that's supportive of, of ethanol as well. Uh, where do you see those two, those two fuels, uh, kind of 
kind of heading to. You know, we've seen good increase in ethanol demand. If you look over this year versus last year, and that's a little unfair, but you look at that corn grind or ethanol production, it's up over 10% versus a year ago. So from a good news story that, you know, we see good demand for corn for ethanol. Now, if you look at the five-year average, it's not quite as, it's it's a little bit lagging that five-year average. And, and that's, you know, basically because we continue to see more EVs in the road. I mean, there's no question when I go to work or I when I did go to commute to work, I did see a lot more EVs on the road than I saw just two or three years ago. That's very anecdotal, but I think it's, you know, something to pay attention to. The other thing that's, you know, we're, the Biden administration has come back and has proposed, you know, reinstating the, the miles per gallon standards that the Obama administration put back, I guess that's six or seven years ago at this point. Um, the Trump administration took off and the Biden administration put back on. So, you know, new, the, the automakers are forced to produce, you know, higher mileage cars. That is detrimental to gas consumption, let alone ethanol. But when you, but at the same time, um, I want to talk about, so there's, you know, there's some clouds on the horizon for ethanol because of, you know, change in fuel systems, change in, um, you know, how we drive. And, and that's certainly had a bound. But I think there's one hopeful thing to talk about on the biofuel sides is, is sustainable aviation fuel, SAF. Hmm. There are two paths. There's a biodiesel path and there's an ethanol path. And we've seen both of those. I don't think that we're going to see electric jets or um, hydrogen jets or water jets anytime soon. It's still going to be a liquid fuel. And of course, there's a lot of regulation around that because they have to be safe. And so I think for the ethanol industry and biodiesel industry, I don't I don't want to call it a savior. But I think that's too strong a word. But I do think it is going to be an important, could be another important component for that industry uh, right now. And high gas prices, as we said right at the beginning, are going to be beneficial to ethanol prices because it does potentially cheapen gas a little bit to the consumer. Wow. Yeah, I, I guess I'd never thought about uh, the the aviation sector like that of uh, of utilizing, you know, a lot of those those same type of resources that, that we're utilizing in vehicles. Yeah, there is. I mean, you start reading and United and Delta have tested uh, biodiesel or ethanol derivatives for sustainable Asian fuel um, and have had good results. So I, I think, you know, the high price of fuel is certainly going to encourage technology to move forward quicker. Um, so they can get to places that maybe are sustainable and cheaper. Uh, but at the same time, you, know, you look at, you know, liquid fuels and for vehicles and trucks, you know, these high gas prices are going to, or high diesel prices as well, are going to fuel technology. What can we find as an alternative versus just using gasoline or diesel? Yeah, that's, that's uh, one thing I've always said, you know, which is the the higher the price of of those types of inputs, it usually drives that technology adoption curve, right? That's uh, exactly start right. start getting more and more hungry for the, the next best thing. And, that's uh, right. And you talked about EV. I, I spent a lot of times uh, on the road as well, and I, and I, I couldn't agree more. I was in uh, uh, Hannibal, Missouri the other day mm-hmm. and uh, stopped at a, a new Casey's that they put up. And yep. here is a whole bank of Tesla superchargers. Yeah. Right. And just yeah. something I probably I, I wouldn't have thought that I would have seen that uh, just a few years ago. Right. Especially in, no. uh, in rural America. The, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Did you expect to see that in rural America in Hannibal, Missouri? I, I wouldn't expect to see that. But yeah, there is. I mean, that's the challenge is to get enough charges in rural America because we drive longer distance in rural America. So we need we need those charges more often. It's not like if I drive to work or 
you know, run errands around an urban area, I can come back home and I can charge up and be ready to go for the next trip. But if you're on a long trip in urban, rural America, you don't necessarily have that option. <laughs> hey, sometimes gas stations are few and far between, let alone uh, charging stations, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That is exactly right. You have to kind of plan your trip accordingly, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Steve, I also know that uh, you read quite a bit, and uh, so what's the what's the next best thing here? What are you <laughs> what are you what are you what are you looking at here? Yeah, I, I haven't had much book reading these days. Uh, my days have been put up with a lot. I will say there's two things I read pretty very religiously from an from an economic point of view. I read The Economist very regularly. And the Economist is very well thought out, very well written, uh, and I would encourage people to look at. The other thing I've really gotten into, I've been a, a bit surprised, and I guess these are, you know, shameless commercials for these two publications, is also Barron's. Um, you know, Barron's is a Dow Jones publication, um, and they do a nice job every week of, of summarizing macroeconomic issues and talking about that. Obviously, they have an investment bent to that. But like just two weeks ago, the, the headline cover was about the food food inflation and food crisis. And they had that was their whole cover story. It was a four-page outlay about what was happening with food. And, and obviously looking at where is an investor, where would you invest? So those are really two publications, particularly now that you know macroeconomic factors are such a big impact on our everyday lives in our grocery store, in our gasoline, in our, our inputs on the farm for how we what we sell. Uh, to the consumer, uh, you know, in your businesses, all that. So I think those are two things I really am leaning on heavily to make sure I understand all the nuances on the macro side and also from the geopolitical side, because I believe on right, wrong or indifferent, and maybe unfortunately, that's going to be a bigger impact on agriculture than we thought just, a, a, you know, a short 12 months ago. Well, yeah, and you hit on a couple of things I'd also like to kind of yeah, kind of sure. dig into here. Um you know, I think as we get into uh, some volatility, right, especially geopolitical uh, volatility, uh, the the increase for cybersecurity starts becoming yeah. a, a bigger and bigger need, right? Um, yeah. Where do you see as far as for for cybersecurity in the ag sector, uh, where do you see that kind of taking us? Where do you see, you know, maybe some of the changes or regulations that, uh, that'll be coming down the line? Yeah, I think there's, We've certainly seen two ag sector, you know, businesses hit, you know, JBS and also then New Cooperative in Iowa. And and, and when I say this, to, particularly to farm groups, and I'll say, I think this is an issue we need to worry about. I, I get a little roll eye. It's like, well, who's going to cyber, you know, who's going to, who's going to hack my, you know, my computer on the farm. But I make the point to them is that think about what you're connected to. And if you think about a farmer you know, that machinery is connected to lots of things. It's it's connected to GPS. It's It could be connected to, you know, a software provider or, you know, a, a granular or a climate or something else, a conservice or someplace, you know, other place in the world. And I've sort of joked with them. I said, could you imagine being out there in the middle of the field at planting season and someone hacks the system you're in and you're dead in the water? What do you do? Um, and and then I sort then you start to kind of get the idea like and they start to think about broader perspective beyond the farm. And I think those are all things we need to think about is that you are you are wired into the world, even though you may be out in the middle of nowhere, um, you are wired to the world. And so, you know, I'm talking to several you know, major machinery manufacturers. It, they they say to me point blank, they said, I can tell you we have really up we have upped our game and are working on that to make sure those systems don't get hacked because we know we can't have problems in the spring and the fall. 
I mean, those are critical times for, you know, for food production. So I think that's the other thing, you know, and, and you think all the way up the line, you know, your elevator, your packer, you know, all those people need to be in line to make sure they can, they can take your product and move it through the, the food system. And we know too, you, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, inflation and think about, or what's available on the store shelves. If that food manufacturer can't produce because their systems are down, then that means the consumer is not getting their food on the other end. So I, I think it's a really important thing. And I think it was a bit of wake up call when a cooperative got hit in the middle of Iowa, like, wow, how could that happen? And it, it did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's funny you talk about, you know, being, uh, being dead in the water and, uh, you know, if, if things yeah. shut down, um, you know, I was talking to my father the other day, actually this past weekend. And, uh, he goes, you know, times have changed, right? He goes, uh, <laughs> if, if technology fails out on me now, I don't plant, right? There is right. our, our planners, not ground driven anymore. Things of that <laughs> nature. You, you rely on technology to, right. to really get that crop in. Right. So I think, uh, making yeah. sure that, uh, that you have the most secure system and, and that, uh, everything's taken care of on that side, I think is a, a pretty important factor for farmers. Yep. Absolutely. And your dad's absolutely right. He he's dead in the water. And so make sure your systems at home are buttoned up because, you know, we you know, they're all connected and they're networked into lots of different places. You know, I can tell you the financial institutions, my my computer. So it takes five minutes to boot up in the morning to get all the security up and running. Um, it, it's frustrating. But at the same time, you know, that is a big thing among regulators to make sure that you have a secure system. So. Well, one of the other pieces, you know, that you talked about was really, you know, where folks are investing at and and just some of the the next big things here. Uh, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot about is is sustainable farming um, mm -hmm. and and really, you know, trying to get that that carbon capture. What are what are your thoughts and outlooks on you know a lot of these different carbon programs that are starting to roll in and and right. farmers starting to sign on to? Right. It. I will tell you, we, we are both as a research group and as a bank, we are just, I'm going to say we're crawling into that. You know, we have a carbon bank within Rabobank and we have a pilot program with, it was about 13,000 acres last year, uh, centered kind of around Southeast Iowa and, and in that area, Western Illinois. Um, we did some pilot programs with farmers to understand what's happening on their farm. What's, what is that soil capable of capturing and, and what does that mean to you? And, and what is it worth to the farmer? Um, and I, we're just learning, and I'll, I'll be real honest about that up front. We're just learning about that. I think the, the challenge that we see from a production standpoint is that there's so many variables in that soil when you look at carbon capture and stuff. What is it, you know, what kind of soil is it? You know, soil between um, Idaho and Iowa are completely different soils, or Illinois. I mean, they're, they're not even close to organic matter. What are the crops they're planting? That's important as well. And so, and we, in talking to farmers about carbon farming, they're very interested, but they're also very cautious. And, and a lot of them are saying, if this, if my soil is so valuable for carbon, then I need to be paid more. And I think there's some validity to that as well. Um, you know, and I think we're also starting to see, and I'm, I'm going to call NGOs and government agencies thinking about this and thinking, and it's in Europe started this and it's starting to move this way is that, well, just because I can sell you a carbon credit doesn't, I'm not getting rid of carbon emissions. And so you're starting to see regulatory structures or investor pressure say, okay, you can buy so much of your carbon emissions by carbon credits, but you need to actually reduce carbon emissions. And so you're starting to see that happen as well. 
but I, I do think that there is potential here. But we're also working in this whole sustainability, you know, and it revolves around lots of things. It's not just about the environment. It's not just about water. It's not just about soil. It, it's also about social, community involvement, economic sustainability, succession planning, all those things, because we know that all of those things are help to preserve or to preserve the sustainability of that farm long term. And, and we know farms that have been around for four, five, six generations, and we know what they've done well. But, you know, I think we need to really start to sit down and collect that data and really, uh, how should I, you know, document what we're doing on the farm to to help the environment, help the sustainability of that farm from from a holistic point of view. So then that's what we're looking at as a bank. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, again, going back to our farm as well, uh, and I've mentioned yeah. this before on this podcast, which is, uh, you know, Dad and I started looking at, at getting into cover crops, right, and running some right. uh, some cover crop trials and things of that nature. And and it's uh, it's one of those where I think uh, the more types of programs that we can get out there that really drive that sustainability conversation, I think you get a lot more farmers trying to adopt those types of practices or at least even try them on their farm, even if they they haven't done it in the past. Right. And, they, you know, and farmers are inherently cautious because they have a lot of, you know, they have a lot of risk out there. Uh, and I don't, I'm not being critical of that at all. I mean, I think that's, that's a proper thing to do. Um, but they want to see how it works maybe on their neighbor's farm or kind of, or, you know, they're very willing to learn. And I think there's a, a real hunger to learn, but it, it's, we're in that crawling stage. We're not walking, let alone running into this at this point. So, but yeah, yeah there is a lot of things to do. Absolutely. That's where I always look at, you know, social media and things of that nature, I think, have uh, have driven that conversation even faster, right? Because it allows you to, you know, you say you want to see it on your neighbor's farm. Right. Uh, well, hey, you and I can be neighbors if we're connected on social media, right? And uh, <laughs> and, and sharing different things. And and it's just a, a pretty neat uh, neat area to go to, to just get yep. more information. And, and like I said, maybe get more comfortable, right? Yeah. And I think that's, it is, it's getting more comfortable and you know one of the things that we've tried to do within the bank is to try to get just that get farmers to connect with each other what are you doing what are you not doing what worked what not and we you know we've had farmers we did a round table with some farmers at a conference this year that were clients and and they were very honest you know we tried this and it failed um and we it was costly but we we backed up and we took another run at it and we did something different so you know all those things are important no, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, uh, one of the other things I wanted to, to, to call out as well, uh, you all have a really popular uh, podcast uh, over over on your side of the business as yeah. well, don't you? We do. We try on a monthly basis to do the North American Grains and Oil Seeds podcast. Uh, you can get it at any of your, uh, any of your uh, servers. You know, Just put in North American Rebel Bank podcast and it'll come up and you can listen to <clears throat> any number of things. You can look into grains and oil seeds. You can listen to beverages. Um, so we encourage you and we, we also do podcasts on some of our research so people can, you know, if they like the podcast, they can go get the research, you know, research and actually read it, but it go, go do it, go to your, uh, podcast search engine and type it in and you'll be able to find it. Well, y'all do a, uh, a wonderful job Thank over you. there. And I think, uh, sharing that knowledge with, uh, with your listeners, I think is absolutely just, uh, absolutely wonderful. I mean, uh, to be able to Thank get, you. uh, just get access to that kind of, that kind of knowledge. So well, we appreciate the we appreciate the plug and uh, thank you for listening. And it's uh it it's always been really interesting. We're trying to do a little bit different and add some of the colleagues globally to get sort of a global perspective because that's what we we're a global bank. 
Um, and so we try to do that. And I think this year we're going to try to bring on some special guests that are not really, you know, not connected to the bank and, and get their views as well. So nice. Well, I look forward to that. So, thank you. well, I also want to say, Steve, uh, just thank you for uh, for coming on here today, and uh, especially where uh, it sounds like you're even even busier than what you were uh, <laughs> last time I talked to you. So, thank it, you for taking time and uh, and visiting with us here today. It's my pleasure. It's always good to talk to you, and uh, I hope uh, hope the listeners enjoy the conversation we had. Yeah, no, absolutely. And let's, uh, hopefully it's not a, you know, over a year for the next time that we talk. So yeah, let's do it in a few months rather than a whole year. So that would be great. (laughs) Exactly. So that'd be great. Well, Steve, thanks again. And you take care. Thank you, Clint. Good to see you as always. Take care. Hey, a special thanks to Steve for joining us here today and sharing his knowledge with all of us. Also, thank you, the listener. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that like button, comment and subscribe, and be sure to share it with one of your friends. Also, Around the Farm is brought to you by Climate Field View, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts at. And it's been an absolute blast today, and we'll see you around the farm. <laughs>